Good morning. Once again, we're here as we always do on this occasion to worship the God of heaven. And thankful for everyone being here as we do that very thing this morning. I kind of Ron, what Ron said a while ago about his picture, I feel, kind of feel the same way. I told Kathy to leave mine alone. <laughs> my badge, my work, my badge picture for work looks like I committed the crime. Yeah, he's one, he's guilty. Because <laughs> it looks like a mug shot. <laughs> so there's nothing you can do to improve, so we'll just leave it alone as that. <laughs> Next week, we'll begin a new chapter, a new dawning, as it were, a new day. And someone asked me a few Sundays ago, would I say something about preaching his work or the congregation and its work or whatever? And I looked at it and I'm trying to figure out what would be the best approach for this. And I hopefully have found a way to helpfully help us understand what's be going on beginning next Sunday. We know one of the things that God makes plain unto us throughout not only the Old Testament with the prophets and the New Testament only with the apostle and those that helped them and those we know as preachers of that day and time who was working with Paul and others. God has defined unto us the kind of preaching that God wants and it pleases Him. After all, it is God who authorized preaching. And that might, man might be saved, that man might learn what is necessary to become a child of God, to live in His favor. In beginning in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, in verse 20, Paul writing to his brethren there simply says this, Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For the Jews demand signs and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Notice simply, as Paul writes to his brethren there in Corinth, he simply defines it. That God, what we would, as the world would call it, the foolishness of preaching, to deliver unto the world the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is, let everyone know what is necessary to become a child of God and live as such. So this morning we want to look at that about preaching. Because here's the way I look at it. As we begin this new era next Sunday, the things we expect from Rick to preach then will also reflect in every other thing that he will do as our minister while he's working with us. And that's the way we want to look at it this morning. We begin by looking at the fact that we are in a need today for what we call scriptural or what we might define also is biblical preaching. We could define it this way, is simply enough of what man has said. I am like, and I know you are as well, that we need to be like Zedekiah of old in Jeremiah 27, 17. I want to know if there's any word from the Lord. I want to know what He has to say. I'm interested in what He's telling us what to do. I want to hear that. When someone proclaims on me the gospel of Christ, I want to hear what the Word of God's got to say. 
And when we look at our examples in the, in the New Testament, we find people even as Apollos, when we look at him in Acts 18.28, he refuted, he said, as it says that the Jews in the public in defending a fact by the Scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Noticed in that, he didn't say Paulus used history. He didn't use recent history. He didn't go back and find the pages of Josephus or anyone else. He said he showed to the Jews that Jesus Christ is the Son of God from the Scriptures. We're familiar with the statement of Acts, of, uh, Acts 17.11 about the Bereans who were more noble than vast like Why? Because they searched the Scriptures daily to make sure the things they were being taught by the Apostle Paul were the truth. <coughs> In other words, they wanted to know, but they wanted to make sure what they were being taught came from the Word of God. Is it what God said? Is it the truth? Was it not Peter who also commanded us in 1 Peter 4.11, whoever speaks as one who speaks the opinions of man? No. Or what makes me feel good? No. The oracles of God. In other words, we would say today in our language, I want a book, chapter, and verse. I want proof. I want backing of what you're saying is the truth of God. And we look at today's, in some cases, preaching, you could search the Scriptures in vain and you'll never find what they're talking about. Because it's not based on the Word of God. It is based on whatever they think feels good for the moment, what will make you feel wonderful and you feel like, oh, it's so good to be here today. He told such a wonderful story. And it was about as deep as a teaspoonful of water. Preachers who leave the book, chapter, and verse out ought to be ashamed. And the reason why many do it, one reason could be they're not even preaching the truth in the first place. Therefore, they can't find a book, chapter, and verse for what they say. Next, we need confident preaching. We would call it preaching with conviction. I'll ask this dumb question for a moment. Was... John the Baptist, a confident preacher. I don't think anybody would say no. They know differently. What does it say when Christ was talking to a group of people who had been out there and He asked them, what did you go out to see? A reed shaking in the wind? And He knew the answer was, we knew that. John was no shaking reed. John was not one afraid to tell you what he thought. He preached it straight. To the point that he, we might say he lost his head over it. And we might joke, but it's still the truth. Why? Because he didn't know nothing else to do but to preach the truth and preach it with confidence no matter who was his audience. We need today preachers who will not be tossed about by every new thing that comes along. They will not be tossed about every new fad. Whatever's good for the moment. Whatever's making us all feel good. Don't fall for those things. We need to be like Paul when he told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.16, we need to preach the truth even though many will forsake us. Still stand for it no matter what. Don't give up. We need, as we say, the conviction of Stephen who preached it to an audience that didn't want to hear it and they killed him for it, but it didn't silence him really. He proclaimed it with the confidence and with a conviction that he knew he was preaching the truth. Preachers 
would say that has conviction. Preachers who have conviction will not be told to what to preach by a congregation that does not want the truth. They'll stand for it no matter what. We need bold preaching. In other words, bold preaching goes a little further than confidence. It lets everybody know where we stand. We need to let it be known that we are need to impress ourselves and our congregation the fact that when we read the Word of God and when we preach, we need to preach with boldness. The book of Acts and throughout the epistles, we find that found throughout where we hear about them preaching with boldness or praying that they would be able to proclaim God's Word with boldness. Look at the fourth chapter of Acts. When we read in chapter 4 and verse 13, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated and common men, they were astonished. But that's not all. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Notice the audience stood amazed. In fact, these men spoke boldly about what Christ had come to this earth, what He had done, what He had preached, the things He had done while He's here, the words that He spoke, and the people recognized that fact because of the way they presented it with boldness. You go back down to verse 29, and it said there that they prayed that they would be able to continue preaching God's Word with boldness. Go to verse 31. And it said there, after feeling feel the Holy Spirit, what did it say as they do? They continue preaching the Word with boldness. Unafraid, unashamed, or proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. In 9 and 23 of the same book of Acts, it tells us there that it reminds us that Paul preached boldly in the name of the Lord. He let it be known, this is the gospel, he let it be known, this is the truth, and he was unafraid. Even as he wrote to his brother at Ephesus in chapter 6, verse 19, 20, it tells there that he, asked, he requested that they pray for him, that he would be able to continue boldly preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, in this day and age, and the way the things are going, we don't need cowards in the pulpit. We pray, and we need to keep praying for boldness. That we're not afraid to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in this ever-changing world. We need simple preaching. Paul used that, what we would call simple preaching. He didn't try to impress anyone with his education, though we know for what we've read that he was more likely most educated of all the apostles sitting at the feet of a great teacher of the Jews called Gamaliel. But he didn't even want to impress them. He said he wanted their faith to do what? Stand at the gospel of Christ not being pressed with him. What does the second chapter of 1 Corinthians begin with? I didn't come to you, he said to Corinth, with great excellent speech to be impressed by what the words I knew and how I could flatter you by everything I know. I came unto you knowing only one thing, that was Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's all I want to know. That's all I wanted you to understand. I didn't come to flatter you with what I knew. We need simple preaching. Most of us do remember Marshall Keeble, the great preacher of the past, a great man and a wonderful man who did a lot of good for the cause of Christ, as we well know. 
He was quoted one time as saying about preaching when he said, we need to put the hay in the calves' trough. Then everyone can benefit from it. You get it. You get it. N.B. Hardeman, who at one time was president, and his name is part of the university over in Henderson, Freed Hardeman, when he was teaching his young preachers while he was at the school there, he always taught them, do not impress the audience with your scholarly ability. He said, you, you know, he said, I'm urging you to use simple language. Give it where people can understand what you're saying. And I love this next line. A display of big words usually shows stupidity, not wisdom. What was he telling us? Get it, put it down where everyone can understand. Is the gospel of Christ hard? No. Can we understand the plan of salvation? Yes. Is it complicated? No. It's easy to understand. But explain it in terms where everybody can understand the gospel of Christ. No one's impressed that you know the $50 words. They are impressed if you know Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's what they're wanting. We need balanced preaching. That means preachers are to avoid riding the hobby horse. Avoid the extreme positions that we do at times. The Bible makes it plain from like a Hebrews 5, 12-14 that there needs to be a balance in preaching between milk and meat. That there must be a balance between rebuke and encouragement. But some brethren are not satisfied some of them think they're unsound if they're not skinning some sect or the brethren. There's a place for rebuke. But there is that place for encouragement. And I can say, at times, we need the encouragement more than we need anything else in these times in which we are living. We need the balance. But only do we need it balanced in what we call the rebuke and the encouragement. We need the balance in the fact that we preach the entire Word of God. Through the years I have met several preachers through the years whose concept of preaching begins with Matthew and ends with Revelation. They don't use the Old Testament because we don't live on it no more. There's nothing to learn from it. We go from Matthew to Revelation. Do I have to tell you of the lessons we learn from the Old Testament? And they are more than we have time to mention. Not only do we need the balance and the rebuke and the encouragement, we need a balance to preach the entire Word of God from beginning to end. We need to talk about the fact that in the beginning God created the heavens. Or we need to talk about the flood. We need to talk about Jonah. We need to talk about everything else that we can find there that we learn lessons from. Because they're still teaching us. Is that not what Paul told his brother at Rome? That they are examples. They are means of learning. Absolutely. So you see, we need balanced preaching. We need, as we would say, we begin this new era, we need preventable preaching. We call this preaching that warns, that vaccinates, and indoctrinates. 
But the problem at times seems to be with brethren, whether in the congregation or even some of those who preach, that they don't want to mention any error that's coming up. They just want to stay away from it. They don't want to talk about it. You know, we know it's in the area. We've heard about it. But let's just don't say anything about it. Sometimes taking, I think the attitude is if we don't say anything, it won't show up here. And if we don't say anything, it'll just go away. Uh, it don't do that, does it? Too many times we find ourselves talking about it after it's already arrived. And then, at times, it is then too late. Why? It's already here. We need preventable preaching. We need the fact that when sin is raging to warn, was that not Paul's attitude toward any congregation he wrote to or individual? Did he not, throughout these epistles, write them, warn them of things coming? As he talked to the Ephesian elders for the last time in Acts 20, what it said, he says, I remind you of something, brethren. Fierce wolves, as he calls them, will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will rise men speaking, as he called it, twisted things, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert and remembering that for three years I did not cease that night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Notice Paul's attitude was, I'm not giving it, an, I'm not even giving an opportunity, not even for an hour, as it were, to raise his ugly head. I'm warning you now, brethren, ahead of time, this is what is coming. And the sad thing is, what Paul said to these brethren at Ephesus became true. Out of the eldership, we begin to see the perversion as the second century and so forth, move forward. Warning the brethren ahead of time. You remember writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, the first six verses, there Paul warned Timothy of things that was coming. You know, departing from the faith, sustaining from meats and so forth, restraining from marriage and whatever. And we look upon it and we realize that did happen. Those things did come about. That warning became a reality. But he told Timothy, these things are coming. Warn the brethren. Prepare them. Have them ready. Have them indoctrinated. Have them ready and vaccinated against these things before they arrive so they can keep that congregation pure in that area. Preach these things. In verse 6, he added to that though, if you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus. That is, if you warn the brethren... You'll be a good servant. If you don't say anything, you're not going to be thinking, well, they don't need to know about this. It's not in our area. It's way over here in this province, thousand miles away. We'll leave it alone. No. Paul says, talk about it. Let them know. Warn. Warn. Every day. It is true. A church that is vaccinated, as we would say, is less likely to walk away from the truth of God and follow error in that respect compassionate preaching. Our Lord was, was the leader in this. He is the one who gave us the example of what it meant to have compassionate preaching or compassion toward those He was speaking to. How many times do we find through the Gospels where the multitude may have been a huge audience or even a smaller one, 
But it doesn't remind us again and again that Jesus had compassion for them. In Matthew 9, 36, 30, it says, When He saw the crowds, He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. It said over and over again, He had compassion for these people. He loved them. He was worried about them. He wanted to help them. And whether it be a huge crowd that He thought that about, we can notice it even with one individual. Remember the rich young leader who come running to Him and said, Master, what should I do to have eternal life? Before He gave him the answer, Mark tells us in chapter 10, verse 21, that Jesus looking at him loved him. That's where He said anything about what He needed to do, the thing that He lacked. It said He loved him. He had compassion. He had compassion. The Apostle Paul, we know, had his compassion. In the first five verses of Romans 9, it tells us simply that he wished he could be accursed for the sake of his Jewish brothers. That is, the Israelites. He said, I wished I would be accursed if it would mean their salvation. What love this man had for his own people. He says, I wish God would just curse me so that if this would open the door that Israel would be saved, I'll do it. I'll do it. The compassion needs to be there. When Paul was going to send Timothy to the church at Philippi. In the second chapter of that book, beginning verse 20, he says, For I have no one like him who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. Then he adds this, For all, for all they seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. What a company said to Timothy. Notice, he will be concerned for you. For you. Not only is the congregation as a whole, but for each individual member of the car, I mean of the Philippian congregation, he's concerned for them. You need passionate. Also need ardent preaching. This is maybe similar to bold, but ardent preaching means a sense of urgency. Most preaching today is not doesn't have a sense of urgency about it. Most times it is to make us feel good, like, well, we've been good to have been here. I, I felt motivated since I left. He made me feel real fantastic. We need to preach again with a fervency. You see, we need to realize this. Whether men respond to the gospel or not, we still need to remind ourselves the urgency of the fact it's still a heaven or hell proposition. Because 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 7-9 through has not changed. Those who do not obey the gospel of Christ will be lost. There is no way around it. You can sugarcoat it. You can kind of wipe it away. But it still doesn't change what it says. The urgency of the fact that we do not obey the gospel of Christ will be lost. Our question is, do we believe that? And the broader question is this. Does the church believe it? Does the church believe it? 
congregations at times are getting to the point they don't even like extended invitations anymore. It's frowned upon. Why? You're prolonging the service. You're taking up time. What did Paul say about this? So again, to his brethren at Corinth, this time the second epistle, and he says in chapter 5, verse 11, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Is it not the Hebrew writer reminds us in chapter 10 and verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Which reminds us what we said in class in Ezekiel 18.4 when he said, they're all souls are mine. All souls are mine. When we look at the church of the New Testament, that which we read about in the book of Acts, and the epistles which bear those congregations' name or the city name where they were at, even though they had problems and Paul and others had to deal with those problems, one of the common threads we find throughout them, in spite of all of the, what problems they may or may not have, is the fact their steadfastness to God. In Revelation chapter 2, we read of a congregation by the name of Pergamos which was told by John that they will hold fast the name of God in the, in the city where Satan's throne was at. It was one of the headquarters of emperor worship and idol worship. John's explanation there was, look at you, brethren, in the midst, in the, one of the centers of worship to the emperor and to idol gods, you have remained steadfast and hold fast God's name in the midst of all of it. Even you, as he mentions there, one fellow's name, Antipas. He said, you, have, he, you lost a fateful martyr because you stand for the truth. Was it not said of Israel because of the leadership of Joshua and the leadership of the elders in chapter 24 of Joshua when he says here, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. all of Israel. Isn't it a wonderful thing to know and to realize that congregations are held together because of this urgency in our preaching. But most of all, and above all, our preaching needs to be to the glory of God and not to ourselves. Colossians 3.17, there the Apostle Paul writes, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Paul says we need to give God the glory. We need to take the attitude as he writes his brethren in Galatians chapter 6.14, But far be it me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Giving God the glory. Remember what he said we mentioned earlier in 1 Corinthians 2? I didn't come with excellent speech and flowery with great words, but I came to know one thing, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. To Him be the glory and the honor. May it be with all of us 
that we take that attitude that people know that we are praising God and giving Him the glory for His Word that redeems us and keeps us ever safe and pure. But the thing about it all is this. If we have the preaching that we just talked about this morning, this congregation will remain steadfast to God. We'll always remain steadfast. It is impossible to know fully all the benefits that can come from having a strong pulpit where the Word of God is faithfully proclaimed every Sunday and every Wednesday night and every Sunday night. We need to hold fast the Word of God. And then we see the results when we do remain faithful to God and remain that because of the preaching we receive from the pulpit here at White Oak. You see, churches who are faithful today and churches who are strong today are not that way by accident. They are that way because someone has stood in this pulpit and has stood firm for the gospel of Christ since 1947. That is why we're still here and still faithful to God. And that's what we need to expect from next Sunday forward. The same thing. If Rick will do that, then we don't have to worry about everything else we ask of him to do. It'll be taken care of. This morning, if you're not a child of God, here's the opportunity. God has not brought the world to an end. The world is still standing. You still have the opportunity to become a child of God, to obey that simple commands to become one of His precious children even this hour. Come believing that He is the Christ, that He is the Son of the living God, that He is God. Come repenting the way you've been living, willing to give up that past life, that old man of sin, you're saying no more. Turn away from it and walk with it no more. Take the next step to confessing that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then be buried in baptism to raise to walk that new life. That's not me talking, that's the Word of God. This morning, if you're a child of His who strayed from the truth, who's not as your zeal is gone, or even your faith begin to waver because you've allowed sin to re-enter your life, you allowed sin to begin to control you again and pull you away from God. While you have the time and opportunity, while you understand and realize what's happening, come back to God. He's told you He'll forgive you. He's promised you that. You come repenting of that way of life, He says, I will forgive and evermore forget. Again, that's not me, that's the Word of God. Come while together we stand and while we sing.